This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Okay, let's let's begin our third session here. Um, in the first two sessions, we talked about the primary goal is to bring our kids to Jesus, and one of the methods for doing that is disciplining them as a form of discipleship. In our second section, we talked about the best way to pass that on to our children is modeling, to show them how to live out that relationship. And let's have a word of prayer before we get into our third session on how to tell the story. Dearest Heavenly Father, God, as we as we stand here about to talk about how to tell the story. This is not our story, it's your story. And so God, we pray that you will infuse your spirit into this room, into this place. Let it be your story that is heard. In your name, amen. I love this quote from Ellen White. Um, Too much importance cannot be placed on the early training of children. The lessons that the child learns during the first seven years of life have more to do with forming his character than all it learns in future years. And if that quote from Ellen White isn't enough, um, Here are four key findings from the Barna Group that support this. A person's moral foundations are generally in place by the time they reach age nine. And in fact, the Girl Scouts of America did similar research and found that by age 10, they have a fully shaped worldview. So by age nine or 10, fully shaped worldview, A person's response to the meaning and personal value of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection is usually determined before a person reaches 18. In fact, a majority of Americans make lasting determination about the personal significance of Christ's death and resurrection by age 12. So again, they're deciding their own, they're making their decision by age 12. Um, In most cases, people's spiritual beliefs are irrevocably formed when they are preteens. And adult church leaders usually have serious involvement in church life and training when they are young. The statistics gathered showed that more than four out of five of those leaders had consistently been involved in the ministry to children for an extended period of years prior to age 13. So what this is saying is that people who grow up to be church leaders often before they were 13 years old were already involved in ministry. And I think often we have this idea when raising our kids that, well, we'll tell you about that when you get older. We'll let you get involved when you get older. But these four facts and the quote from Ellen White let us know that 
bringing our kids to Jesus starts at birth. And every possible moment, every way, we want to get them involved. We want them to be a part of that. And we want not just to be telling them, but involving them in telling other people about Jesus. Now, these things, we don't want to be discouraging to those of you who have kids older than this and say, well, it's too late then. It's not, right? It's never too late for the Holy Spirit. Um, But when your kids are young, if you know what your goal is, then you can start working toward that before they're even born. Um, Start today if you haven't started before. It's never too late. Um, but we know that the earlier we, the earlier we're working toward this, um, the better chance we have, right? Um, so I was going to talk to you a little bit about discipleship as a parent and, and media, okay? So there's a whole other seminar that you can go to about the nitty-gritty of media. I'm not going to get into all the details, but we know our kids are exposed to a lot, Right? When they watch TV, if they watch TV, they're exposed to a lot. And it's not just about the content of the shows that they're watching. It's also the advertisements that they're watching. And, um, you know, it's also the time. Yes, and, and that's what I was going to talk about. It's also about time spent. So you're making my point before I can, but that's awesome. Um, so TV, video games books, music, social media. You don't usually see books on this list because we generally think books, good. TV, not as good. Books aren't usually on the big list of like media that you need to be looking out for. And, and I love books. Like, I love books. We read all the time at my house. Um, my children can sit and read uh, a lot, which I'm so thankful for. But as with everything, we want to make sure that what our kids are exposed to is working toward our goals. It's supporting our family values, like we talked about in the last session, and it's moving us closer to our goal of having our kids have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, so if your TV helps you accomplish that, great. If your video games help you accomplish that, great. If your books do, awesome. Music also can be awesome, right? We don't have a problem if it is supporting our family values and helping lead our kids to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. But if it is not doing those things, or if the time you are spending, like you said, If the time you're spending on those things is taking time away from um, other things that they need to be doing, that we need to be doing as a family to better support our values, to better push us toward that goal of a saving relationship with Jesus, then we need to think about the media, how it's allowed into our home, the time we spend on it, and maybe setting some boundaries or limits, and at least being intentional about, um, about how we're using media. 
Does that make sense to everybody? So just thinking about that. And there are a few things that you can do. Um, first of all, if you feel like what you're doing works for you, you're using, you're using TV and, and social media and music and books, and your kids are using them in such a way that it's supporting your ultimate goal, then leave it alone. It's fine. But if you feel like, hey, you know, maybe there's an issue here. Or you know, oh yeah, there's definitely an issue here. Um, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you notice that it's a huge deal when you try to take the tablet away from your child. And you say, okay, screen time's up. And it's, I mean, it's a meltdown every time. It happens. Maybe your, your child is more interested in emulating a cartoon character than Jesus, okay? Think about what we're putting in front of our kids. And it's not just about not allowing bad stuff in. That's part of it, right? Because we want to keep our kids exposed to things that are healthy and happy. We're not going to be able to shelter them from bad things forever. There's value in keeping you know, negative media, inappropriate media out. I'm not saying that there isn't. But it's not all about that. It's about what do you have time and, and what are you spending your energy on bringing in as well. Um, so um, one thing that you can do if you think you might have an issue or if you're not sure is you can do a screen time audit. And it's, it's kind of a pain. It's a little bit time consuming. But you go, you just write down every day how much screen time your kid has. Don't try to do anything different. Just when you say, you know, okay, you can have the iPad for 10 minutes while I take a shower, because sometimes that's the only way you can take a shower, moms, right? Uh, and so when you do that, is it really 10 minutes? Um, most people, and I don't have the statistics right off the top of my head, I'm sorry, but um, if, you, if you Google it, you'll find that most people underestimate their screen time by kind of a big percentage. I don't remember what it is, so I'm not gonna say a number. But most people underestimate their screen time. Um, you can turn on your own screen time um, limiting kind of apps. If you have an iPhone, uh, with they, they, it will keep track. It'll send you a message and say, your screen time is up 30% this week or whatever. It's kind of astounding if you actually stop and pay attention. We, almost all people, underestimate the time we spend on our screens. And with our kids, it's easy to do that, too. We think, oh, they only use my phone for a couple of minutes while I do this or while I do that. But really, it might be adding up to more time than we're thinking. Um, so conducting a screen time audit, just take three or four days, write down how much time they're spending every day, and see if you're really OK with that. Is it really just a couple of minutes? Is it really? what you think it is, and then what are they doing with that? How much of that do you actually know what they're doing with that tablet, or with that phone, or on that TV? Um, have you watched the ads in very simple music videos on YouTube? Do you know what ad is going to pop up? There's no way to know on some things, right? So. 
just thinking about all of those different aspects that we don't really think about, um, it's, it's important. Um, what's my next thing? Oh, it's Ben's turn now. That's why I can't remember what I'm supposed to say next. Another way that we can intentionally tell that story to our children is family worships. And um, family worships are one of those things that, again, easier said than done. And I think often, like, it's one of those things that kind of gets squeezed in, like, okay, ha let's check that off the list. But let's let's take a few moments and at your tables share what are some family worships what was family worship like in your home growing up if you didn't grow up with family worship what is it like in your home um but just share for a moment what what family worship was like for you including how did you feel about it did did you enjoy it did you not enjoy it how did you feel what was family worship like how did you feel about it Okay, so let's, uh, let's debrief a little bit. So is there anybody who's willing to talk about uh, their memories of family worship growing up as a child? Did any, if you don't want to share, that's okay. Okay, nobody wants to share, that's fine. Um, <laughs> well, the, the question is, so basically just share what you shared with the person that you were talking to at your table. So, um, but if nobody wants to share with the whole group, that's fine. I'll share. So growing up, my family, um, we had family worship most of the time, not every day. Um, and we usually had family worship, um, in the mornings. Um, my, my dad worked long hours, and so he wasn't really home a lot of the time at bedtime or in the morning. So we usually did family worship in the morning um, before my sister and I went to school. And we read from a devotional book, um, usually whatever the devotional book for kids our age was, uh, for kids our age was for that year, you know, from the ABC. Uh, that's what we read. So we read a page from our devotional book, and um, we prayed together, and that was our family worship experience. Um, and I enjoyed it, um, but I don't think I really felt like it was something that I couldn't live without. Does that make sense? Like, it wasn't something that if we skipped it, I don't think I felt its absence because we weren't super regular about it. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. Did anybody have something, a positive memory? You don't have to share it. I just want you to show who has a positive memory of family worship as growing up. Who has some not so positive memories of family worship? Yeah, some people don't have positive memories, and it's okay to say that. It's okay to say that. Um, some people just don't remember it as a good thing. And so 
it's something to keep in mind as we're thinking about with our own families. You get to do family worship now with your own kids, with your own spouse. And so how are you going to take the best of family worship that gave you those warm, fuzzy memories as a child? And how are you going to take your memories of maybe not enjoying it so much and help that shape the way that you present family devotional time for your kids? Um, Because both of those experiences, whether it was positive or negative, can be valuable in shaping um, how how you uh, guide your kids through a family worship experience. Does that make sense? Um, And if you didn't have family worship at all, which a lot of us didn't growing up, uh, if you didn't have family worship at all, is it something that was hard for you to implement um, when you formed your own family? Um, so just thinking about all of these different factors. Um, now, I think family worship is so important. Christian families um, should be having family worship because it's one of the main ways that we can gather together and talk about spiritual things in a really intentional way. Um, and so and we're, we're teaching our kids essentially how to lead family worship when they're older, when they have kids. Um, And so, five tips for meaningful family worship. First one is choose the right setting. So, this can be pretty simple. Um, When our kids were really little, we usually did it in our son's bedroom. We did did it um, just on the floor in his room because he was always on the floor and we just got on the floor with him and we did our family worship together there. And it made sense for us at that time. Now we do it in our living room. We sit in our favorite spots in the living room and our kids usually sit on one of our laps. Um, And that's where we do it. We've moved to the living room away from the bedroom because we always invite whoever is at our house. If it's family worship time, you're invited to stay. And it's a lot easier to cram random people who are there for family worship into our living room than on the bedroom floor, if that makes sense. But we used to do it. But, but now, we, because we just invite whoever, if you're at our house and it's family worship time, you're invited to stay. You're not forced to stay, but you're invited. And usually people take us up and they stay. And so we use our living room now. Um, and it works for us. But choose the right setting. Choosing the right setting also includes making it a good setting. So if you use your living room, then maybe make sure that it's not super distracting with, you know, as a mom, I can't focus as well if there are toys all over the floor. So maybe that means you pick up before family worship time. It means, you know, if the TV was on, turn it off. If you're listening to the radio, turn it off. Um, You know, make it a good setting for family worship. You don't have to make it perfect. Just make sure that it's conducive. Um, Number two, make family devotions a habit. So I shared my example of what family worship was like for me as a kid, and it was pretty, fairly regular, but it wasn't a habit. It wasn't just a natural part of our routine that fit into our lives. And so I realized that making it a habit or saying routine 
kind of makes it sound a little bit like, I mean, that it's a casual thing that you don't even think about. And that's not how I mean it. I just mean make it a part of your day that you cannot miss. That's what I mean by that. Um, because our kids are so young and because we started when they were babies, um, we put family worship as part of our bedtime routine. So every kid goes to bed at some time. Most families have some kind of a bedtime routine. Um, we made family worship a part of ours. Now, I know a family that doesn't really have a bedtime routine because they're a little bit more relaxed about that kind of thing than I find it possible to be. But they have their family worship when they all have breakfast together. And that's fine. It doesn't have to be at a certain time of day. Do it when it works for your family. We try to do it at a time when my husband is usually home, although he's a pastor and you can never tell what his schedule is going to be like from one day to another. And it might change that afternoon. So we try to make it when he's home, but if he's not home, we still do family worship. And because my kids know that after they clean up, we have family worship. After we have family worship, they brush their teeth. After they brush their teeth, they go to the bathroom. And after that, they go to bed. That's just part of it. If we get to going to bed and we have not had family worship, our sons, both of them, will protest and say, but we didn't have family worship. And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're on the road. It doesn't matter if we're in a hotel. It doesn't matter if we're at Grammy and Grampy's house. It does not matter where in the world we are. If they are going to bed and they haven't had family worship, they will tell us. And that's, I love that. Because that means that they miss it when it's gone. And, and I think that we should all feel that way. Um, so make it a habit. Number three, keep worship relational. So relational can mean a lot of different things, but keep it relational because they need to be able to apply it to their own lives. And a lot of, I'm, I'm not sure, some of you said you had bad memories of family worship. I know that in a group that I led it out in, a small group for um, moms like me, um, we, we shared the same thing. We shared our thoughts about what family worship was like. And, and one of the moms in my group said that she did not like family worship as a child because her father read straight from the Bible for 20 to 30 minutes every night, and that was their family worship. Now, we love the Bible. Reading from the Bible is a great thing. But reading for 20, 30 minutes to little kids from a version that they can't really understand or comprehend is not relatable. It is not enjoyable for them. And that does not mean that we don't appreciate what the Bible says. It's got to make sense to them, and it's got to work with their, with their attention span. If I stood up here and read to the Bible to you for 20 or 30 minutes without explanation or discussion, 
you probably wouldn't be that interested either, if, if we're being honest. For a four-year-old, for a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 13-year-old, that's not gonna work. We want it to be enjoyable and relational, and that does not mean that we're watering down the spirituality of our worship. Um, prioritize prayer, that's the fourth thing. Prayer is important. It needs to be part of our family worship experience. Our kids are not going to learn how to talk to Jesus, talk to God, unless we show them. So make prayer an important part of your family worship. And number five, let the kids lead out. Now, I'm not saying place all of the control in your children's hands, because that's probably a bad idea, especially with really young kids. For our four-year-old and our two-year-old, they get to choose the song that we sing. They get to choose who reads our story, our, our Bible story. Daddy or mommy usually is the choice. If there are other guests who know how to read, it's open game. They're allowed to say no. But our kids get to choose who reads the story. They get to choose the song. And they get to choose who prays in which order when we do our family prayer. These are not huge things, but it allows our kids to have control. It allows them to feel like they're leading out in our worship experience. And when they are invested because they're leading, they're more interested and they're excited. And we give them a week at a time to lead out. And guess what? We take a week too. So they're also learning a little bit of patience to wait for their week to come around. We, we get to choose different songs that we want to teach them so that we don't sing Only a Boy Named David every single night of our lives. Um, and, and it helps them to learn that everybody takes a turn. Not just mommies and daddies, not just little kids, but everybody is important. Our whole family is important and an important part of our family worship. Um, so let them take some ownership, and it might look different in your family what you let them lead out in, but, but give them some ownership, and older kids could maybe plan a little bit more than that. Um, but our kids, that's what we do with them, and, and it works for us. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I, I really didn't bring a lot of things to show you, but some of our favorite um, resources... This is one of our favorite um, Bible storybooks. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And we like this one a lot because it is so fantastic about weaving the story of salvation into every single Bible story that's included in the book. So no story goes by without talking about how it fits in to God's plan. And it calls it God's secret rescue plan. Um, and, but it just talks about how God loves us so much. And it talks about his love for us and how he was going to rescue us from our sin in every single story in such a way that, that our children, as young as they are, can articulate how God loves us through the story of David and Goliath, through the story of creation and the fall and, and everything else. So we, we really like that book. Um, Another book, um, another set that we really love, um, which is, you know, like an Adventist staple, is the My Bible Friends books. They're red. Have you guys seen those? Yeah. So 
they're, they're awesome. Kids, little kids and older kids can be really engaged with those stories. Um, and then also, we just gave our son the clear word Bible for kids, his own, his first Bible that's not just a story Bible. Um, it's a full Bible, um, but it's pretty simple for him to understand. Um, and so we, we like those resources. Um, there are some things on the handout, some resources, some links that you can see if you're interested in looking more um, at the digital handout. I think when we talk about raising our kids, the Sabbath is one of those things that really comes into play. And I think if we were to spend a few moments talking about what the Sabbath was like for us growing up, we would have a lot of different stories. How the Sabbath is kept, what were the expectations, what it felt like. There would be a lot of pros and we're honest, there's going to be some cons, too. Um, a lot of us grew up where the Sabbath was more about the rules than the relationship. Um, it's, it's easy to do. Um, and as a parent, it's really easy to do because you want your kid to grow up to learn to keep the Sabbath. And so you're trying to set those boundaries. And what, what does that look like? So um, let's look at Isaiah chapter 58. Verses 13 and 14. When it comes to understanding the Sabbath, this is one of my favorite texts on it. Um, if you refrain from trampling on the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not get, going in your own ways, serving your own interests or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, from the mouth of the Lord has spoken. To illustrate this, I'm going to tell a fictitious story. I want to point out that this is fictitious before I begin. Um, so, I'm going to go out on a date with my wife. We're going to go to a super fancy restaurant, thinking probably the Panera on the corner here. Um, don't worry, we'll get a booth. This is going to be classy. And so we're sitting there, we're on our date, and all of a sudden I get a notification on my phone, and it's one of my friends telling me about a new game. So of course I'm going to download this, and I start playing it, and this is a fantastic game. And so I'm texting my friend back like, hey, thanks for telling me about this, this is wonderful. And Am I having fun? Is this a good date? No. No, this is terrible. And I think that that gives us a picture of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a date with God. And so it's easy to try to set up all the things that are appropriate and not appropriate, but that, that'll wear you out. If you tried to do that with a date for your wife, like, hey, let's sit down and make a list of all the things we can do and can't do on the dates, we will lose track of the point of the date. It's about that relationship. It's about spending time together. And if you're having to make a list of all the things you shouldn't do, well, there might be a problem with the relationship. The Sabbath is a date with God. 
And so what you want to do is figure out what are the things you and God can do together. Help your children as they're growing up to figure out what are those things. Now, another thing about a date is the dynamics change when one of the people in the date changes. Like, I also enjoy going out on dates with my boys, spending some quality time one-on-one -on -one with them, working on that relationship also. I am not going to do the same thing with my four-year-old that I'm going to do with my wife. It doesn't mean that that relationship is less significant. It doesn't mean that that relationship is less real. But the dynamics change when one of the people on the date changes. Does that make sense? So how I keep the Sabbath with my relationship with God is not going to be the same way that you do. There are going to be some, but the principles remain the same. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm not saying that the Sabbath is not important. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, if we use this as our parameter for keeping the Sabbath, we're actually raising the bar of the Sabbath because then taking a nap on Sabbath, is that spending quality time with God? It starts getting personal. So talking about, and we have to be honest with ourselves as we analyze the way we're keeping the Sabbath. Is this something that Jesus and I are doing together? Is this something that is bringing me closer to God? But then as we're raising our children, coming alongside them, as we are getting to know them, as their personalities are developing, helping them to understand what are some ways they can spend that time with Jesus? What does that date with Jesus look like? And it might be going out and exploring nature together. It might be finding a way that you as a family can serve together. But if we're really treating it as a date with Jesus, then it's going to involve bringing their personalities into the picture as well. It's going to involve understanding who they are and how that fits in to keeping the Sabbath. Okay? And this does not mean that we do whatever we want on the Sabbath. That's not what I'm saying at all. I mean, the text is very clear. If you refrain from trampling on the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day. But it is about being intentional about how do we keep the Sabbath in a way that we are spending time with our Savior. How do we keep the Sabbath in a way that we are developing that relationship and raising children who are using that as their expectation for what the Sabbath is. Using that so that they're growing up learning how to keep the Sabbath. Another element of this is if we're talking about telling the story, if we're talking about using every possible moment, then the boundaries of worship are going to have to be removed. Teaching your kids about Jesus isn't just something that happens at family worship. It's not just something that happens on Sabbath. It's something that's integrated into every aspect of our lives. So it's 
it's, you know, when, when we're talking about, um, and we keep going back to this text, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, we keep going back to it. When you, when you lay down and when you rise, right? Every moment of the day, you're spending um, working toward this goal. So that means when you're in the car. That means when you're making dinner. That means any time that you're with your kids, we want to be we want to, we want to be pointing them to Jesus, and so and we want to teach them to be continually um, touching base with God. Right? We want we want them to be in constant contact. So it's it's worship is incorporated into the fabric of our lives. So family worship is great, and um, Sabbath is wonderful. But those are not the only times that we're making spiritual lessons that we're teaching, um, that we're leading our kids to Jesus. We don't wait till family worship to do it. Um, so it's, it's woven into our discipline like we talked about earlier. And that doesn't mean that you're using Jesus and the Bible to, you know, bludgeon your kids into submission, holy submission, right? Um, we're teaching them through grace and mercy and, and through um, firmly redirecting them and teaching them a better way to handle things. We're leading them to Jesus. And we're letting them know that we mess up too. And Jesus is the one that we look to to help us do better. Um, and the, we, we're trying to teach... Our, a spiritual application to our daily life in such a way that our kids are attracted to Jesus. We want them to realize that being close to God makes our lives better. Um, and so teaching it in such a way that it's not, you know, Jesus is watching you. You know, that, that's not really a healthy motivation, is it? Um, we want our kids to think that God is on their side and he's working for them and he's not just keeping a record of our wrongs but also giving us what we need to be close to him um so the the biggest factor and i feel like we've said this before but it's worth saying again the biggest factor of being able to weave worship into the fabric of your everyday life is having a personal relationship yourself. You can't do it if you don't have it. Um, and Ellen White said, in the desire of ages, fathers and mothers should look upon their children as younger members of the Lord's family, committed to them to educate for heaven. The lessons that we ourselves learn from Christ, we should give to our children as the young minds can receive them, little by little opening to them the beauty of the principles of heaven. Thus, the Christian home becomes a school where the parents serve as under-teachers while Christ himself is the chief instructor. It doesn't work if we're not learning from Christ. It says the lessons that we ourselves learn from Christ, we should give to our children. If we're not learning the lessons from Christ, we can't teach Christ's lessons to our kids. So it it keeps coming back to we need a personal relationship if we want to reach the goal of leading our kids into a personal relationship with Christ. And we, and we talked a little bit about this in our last session, this idea of letting your kids 
see your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, letting them see you do your devotions. And one of the things that has come out of that is um, we got my son Emmett, the Gospel of Mark. And so he saw me doing my devotions, and he wanted to do it just like me. And so this book is just the Gospel of Mark. And as we read through a story, he wants to underline things because that's what I do in my devotions. And so he goes and gets a crayon, and we'll read through a story, and he talks about what are the elements that stand out to him. And then, because he can't read, I point at where that is, and he makes an effort to underline it with his crayon. But it's that idea of, from the very beginning, how do we equip them to have that relationship with Jesus themselves? And we can't share what we don't have. Um, so, in Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 13, is a passage we're all familiar with. Um, He said to them, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. I think that often when it comes to talking to kids about Jesus, we, we fail, and one of those reasons why is because we aren't connecting them to Jesus. We will do one of two things. We either will do programming that connects just to kids, like, okay, this is meeting kids at their level, and it's connecting them, or we do something where we're keeping it way up here, and it's just connecting to Jesus, the example Brianna gave about the father who read for 20 to 30 minutes straight from the Bible, that was not connecting the kids to Jesus. That was connecting to Jesus, but not connecting to the kids. And good worship with children needs to connect to both, to Jesus and to the kids. And I think often when we aren't achieving both of those goals, we're hindering them from coming to Jesus. We're teaching them not maybe intentionally, but we're still teaching them that because, you know, we're keeping worship way up here, where they're not understanding it, that it's for when they get older. We're teaching them that it's not important for them. It's, it's for older people. It's the exact same thing the disciples were doing that day, where mothers were trying to bring their children to Jesus, and the disciples said, no, no, no. He doesn't have time for them. Jesus, on the other hand, had a very different message. He did have time for them. But also, it hinders when we just keep it there and we're not connecting our kids to Jesus. And I think we can all think of children's songs that we have heard that we're like, okay, how does this actually teach them about Jesus? Father Abraham. Let's be real. I hate that song. 
But how does it connect them to Jesus? We need to be intentional about our worship, about the way we are communicating with our kids and making sure that kids are not stupid. Do we need to change our language? Do we need to maybe explain things differently than we regularly do? Yes. But they're able to understand. And when you have those moments with your kids where you see their eyes light up because they're grasping who Jesus is and how much he loves them. I remember with both my boys, those first moments when I was talking to them about heaven and they got excited about heaven for the first time. With, with my youngest, Arlo, it happened not that long ago, actually. I was putting him down to bed and we were talking about heaven and some of the exciting things. And just two nights ago, as I was putting him to bed again, he had a bunch of questions about heaven. Is Jesus going to prepare a place for us? What's it going to be like? As parents, this is our goal. This is our goal, to be connecting our kids to Jesus. And so, let's have our worship make sure that it is doing both of those things. It can't just be about entertainment, and it can't just be about theology. It has to be worship that is bringing that theology down to a place where it's digestible by every single member in our homes. So one thing I just want to add, because we talked about something my husband and I did. We, we weren't supposed to put it in the presentation, but I'm doing it anyway. Um, we, we just had this conversation, and Ben said something about, what if Jesus had, had not used parables, but what if he had only talked about the spiritual ideas that he wanted to teach us in, you know, his, a way that he could understand, but we couldn't. Jesus came down to the level of the people around him. He told stories that they could relate to and that made sense to them, and we don't have a problem with that. But sometimes we have an issue, and we say, oh, we're watering things down. Don't water things down. You don't have to, but simplify making things simpler and breaking them down into easier to understand pieces for our kids is only doing what it takes to connect them. Okay, so we're going to... Um, we're going to just take one minute and we're going to ask you to share at your table something that you're taking away from this session, whether it's good or bad, we're not going to ask you about it so you can say what you need to say to the people around you, but what's one takeaway that you're going to get from this session, how to tell this story. Um, so 
take just a minute and share that with your table, and then we'll finish up and we'll close with prayer in just a moment. So I hope none of you are going to be terribly offended if we allow you to go a little bit early to lunch. Um, but we're going we're gonna to finish this one up just a couple minutes early. Three sessions in a row. This is a lot for a pastor. Um, usually pastors, if we have to preach three times in a day, it's the same sermon, so we're good. So um, let's close with a word of prayer. Dearest Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for doing whatever it took to reach us. The fact that you sent your son from the very throne room of heaven to the darkness of a dingy stable because you wanted a relationship with us. Thank you for doing that. And God, give us wisdom give us strength to find out how we can do the same for our children. In your name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.